Thank you for downloading Super Scoreboard Through the Decades podcast with Indigo Unified Communications. Whether you're working from home or from the office, Indigo Unified Communications are there to support you and your business. With disaster recovery options and free software installation, they can have you up and running within 24 hours. Indigo Unified Communications are there to make it easy. If you're interested in finding out more, visit indigounifiedcoms.co.uk. Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. This is Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. I'm Hugh Keevans. Some call it the greatest derby in the world. It is certainly the game that divides a country. When Celtic play Rangers, Scotland holds its breath. The 60s started with Rangers the dominant force and ended with a seismic shift in power. Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. What was your favourite game against Celtic, Colin? Well, the League Cup final, I might remember. Uh, we beat them one nothing. Celtic were odds all favourites to beat us, but we had a single goal Derek Johnson. We played yeah. for him for Rangers and he scored yeah. them. Uh, I think that's my most memorable game. Probably the only one I won. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, for you, was there a, a, apart from the 5 1 win in your debut in the fixture, was there any other game that stuck out in your mind? Oh yes, the, the game that Colin already mentioned, the 4 nothing defeat in the uh, 1969 Scottish Cup final. You can't ask for better than that, can you? Mm. You know, 129,000 there, a big, big occasion in the Scottish Cup final. Your ancient rivals, your opponent, you come out with a 4 nothing victory. Absolutely perfection, you know. And I, I, Ollie in person was a very good player, very quick. But, uh, you know, on that day, I think Celtic, I think every one of the Celtic outfield players dominated their opponent. That was why we won for nothing, and that's all you can ask for in a team. Well, Colin mentioned the the uh, teenage Derek Johnson scoring. You had George Connolly scoring that the uh, quite remarkable goal. Yeah, George was uh... It's a sad story, isn't it, George? The way he went out of football, you know, at oh. a uh, relatively young age, but um, certainly made his mark that day. And of course, uh, just uh, a year later, uh, the, the Leeds game as well, you know, he scored that oh. down at Ellen Road as well, you know, and um, he, was, uh, he was a good player. Joxine always said one of his greatest achievements was keeping Jimmy Johnson in the game for as long as he did. Jimmy was voted the best Celtic player of all time. Listeners, just how good was he? Well, I could keep the ball off you two in that wee dressing room that you're in just now. You know, <laughs> uh, that's how talented he was. He was, he, he was just a wonderful, balanced. He was. People say he, would, he was small, but don't forget he was small, but he was stocky. You know, he had quite a wide pair of hips and big thighs on him, so he he could, you know, go one way and suddenly stop dead, go another, and. Uh, you need the frame for that. It's quite hard for a big fella to do, like Colin or myself, to do it. But you can do it when you're small and stocky and firm and all that. And he was just an, a, 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 an unbelievable talent at beating people. And uh, he didn't always get the right pass, you know, because he might take on one man too many. But those type of players always have a problem with that. If you're beating people easily, you tend to want to do another one. 
Um, but um, more often than not, he got the pass or the cross right, and um, he was wonderful at Clare. If you're one of the younger generation, you'll say the best number seven was Henrik Larson. Your generation will say the best number seven was Jimmy Johnson. Well, in those days, don't forget, Jimmy was an out-and-out winger, which Henry wasn't. <laughs> Henry was a, a uh-huh. striker, you know. So um, that was a question of numbers there. But, you know, as a winger, Jimmy was in a class uh, of his own. Curious enough, you... I didn't vote for him. I mean, he's a great follower, I mean, too, you know, and, and uh, I love the wee man, but I never voted for him as the best ever self because I went for McGrory. I failed to see how somebody who scored 472 goals in 445 matches could not be your best ever player. Yeah. Well, so I voted for him. Did you tell me, Jimmy, that? I did. <laughs> Colin, you played a you played. You want, a, to tell, you want to know what you told me? What you, what you called me? Can you keep it clean? Uh, no. <laughs> Colin, you played against John Gregg and with John Gregg. How would you explain John Gregg? Sum him up for the younger generation of Rangers fans who never actually saw him play. Well, he wasn't a great player to play against. I can tell you that. He was a great player to play with. Uh, well, he was a class player, he was a hard player, but he could also play the game, you know, he could pass the ball about and that. Uh, so, and he was a great leader. Uh, you know, he always got you up if you were a bit down and that. So, I think he was just a class act. Did you have a favourite goal that you scored against Celtic? Uh, favourite goal? Well, I scored one at Parkhead. I always remember, uh, but uh, we got beat 2-1. Uh-huh. And I always remember shaking hands with Kenny Douglas after it. And he says, oh, we've done you a day, big man. So we did it. It was quite a good goal. Oh. Jim. <laughs> we didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, Jim, if you don't win, you're plunged into despair. Well, after that particular game, it can be pretty bad that night, yeah, if you're on the losing side, because um, as I mentioned before, you know, fans are great when you're winning, but when you get beaten, they're Equally keen to tell you, uh-huh. <laughs> they're disappointed. So you've got to carry that as well. And the worst, Colin, I don't know if you have ever been in this position where you've, you've got a function on the night you've been beaten. And that is the last thing you want, isn't it? You know, Have you ever been in that position? I certainly have. And I'm, I'm, I'll echo your thoughts as well. It's terrible. Oh. <laughs> but you just got your own way. Jim, supporters functions, you raised the subject there. We can explore it now. Supporters' functions then were commonplace. It was every weekend, whether it was Celtic or yeah. Rangers. Have the players now lost touch with the people who support them? No, I don't think that is the case. I think it's the fact that it's just got out of fashion for whatever reason. You know, plus most of the players don't come from the Glasgow area. I mean, when I was uh, playing for Celtic, most of the uh, the guys were Scots. Most of them lived around and about. I mean, of the Lisbon team, only Bobby Lennox was 30 miles away from from, from Glasgow. The rest were all within a 10-mile radius of Glasgow. Uh-huh. And that was par for the course uh, back then. So if somebody, somebody always knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who would ask you to come to a function. And you can't say no, can you? Because no. they support the same team as you do, and it's nice to get there, and it's nice to get a wee bit of applause to yeah. go along. I'm sure you felt the same, Colin. Yeah, I did, I. Do you regret or have any regrets about playing in an era where wages were not as 
high as they are today Or did you get the same thrill calling out of just being part of it all? Well, certainly got the same thrill. I mean, uh, I've been about three times around the world and I've had a great life and had a good life when I played football. I mean, the money was great then. But nowadays, well, obviously it's different. Uh, you know, television rules uh, football. So had a great time. I've never changed it. A lot of great characters back then in the 60s. You know, Jinky, Wally Henderson, Wally Johnson, Greggy, McNeil. You could you, name them all. Mm. Tremendous thing. Is it? The case that Willie was as blind as a bat. <laughs> well, you're, you're talking about great wingers, and unfortunately, at the same time as uh, Jimmy Jones, I don't know how many times he played for Scotland, but uh, Jinky was a different player for uh, Willie Henderson. Jinky would get the ball and hold it up where Willie was uh, more direct in that, but they're both great characters. I played them with Scotland, and that. great characters uh, and tremendous people. So they were. Well, they were. Yeah, uh, of course they were. Uh, and that, there was a sad aspect of when they played for Scotland, you know, the Celtic fans would boo Willie Henderson to get Jimmy on, and the Rangers fans would boo Jimmy to get Willie Henderson on. That's right, that's what I like it was, I. Uh, but I mean, there were two world class players, weren't they? Uh, but uh, obviously, the Celtic supporters wanted uh, Jinky and the Rangers supporters Willie, so you wouldn't change that. What would enable Jimmy and Willie to be such good friends when, as Jim Craig said, you know, that it was a very tense time to be involved in the Celtic Rangers rivalry? How did they rise above it? Well, I just think that, you know, their characters and charisma, they were tremendous individuals. And, you know, they're both about the same size and they could communicate together and that. And they're very, very talented players. And they just uh, struck, struck up a friendship. I think when Jimmy was new well, at the end, uh, Wally was a regular visitor, so kept up the friendship. Yeah, the, the, at the end of the day, Jim, they were human beings as well as football players, and they had that mutual respect for each other. Well, that's dead right, Hugh. I mean, uh, the, the aspect that wasn't evident at that time wasn't a good one at all, and should have been, you know, condemned. The fact that uh, uh, religion had played a part in the upbringing. Uh, of uh, the kids that played for both these teams and um, I'm glad that's all gone now, you know and um, there's no reason why players on different sides can't be friends uh, you're all the same sport, you're all trying to make a living yeah. and uh, you're looking after your families and um, I'm pleased to see now that uh, that seems to be the case When in 1966 Celtic won at Motherwell and became champions for the first time in a long time could you have imagined it would go to the first ever nine in a row? I did think that when I got my place in the team, this man was special, Jockstein. I thought he was really good at what he did. He got the players interested in what he was saying. He didn't ask you to do anything you weren't capable of. As as the, apparently Guardiola is a great man for repetition. You must do the same thing time after time after time. And Jock's team would come out with the same mantra. Defenders defend, midfield players get the ball, pass it around, forward score goals. Mm. And he would keep telling you that. And that was what you were, you all knew what you were supposed to do. And, you know, it all rubbed off. We took it in and we put it into operation. And suddenly from a team that in the early 60s was going nowhere, suddenly this team had a focus. And that's what a good manager does is focuses the team's mind and the performance. 
Before you were part of the uh, the Scottish Cup winning 65 against Infermline, uh Celtic hadn't won a trophy since 1957. If that happened now, there'd be outrage. Well, it would be. And, uh, to be honest, there was outrage then as well, but um, they just realised there were things wrong at Celtic Park. I mean, Jimmy McGrory wasn't a dominant manager. The chairman of the time, Robert Kelly, unfortunately, had an input and it wasn't always, a, you know, the right input. Oh. And, um, you know, everybody knew what the problems were, the board interfering too much, the manager not being able to do his job, but nothing was done about it. And suddenly, you know, the call went out to Jockstein. Um, and as soon as he came in um, from the Dunwell at Dunfermline and Hibs, um, uh, everything changed. Very much for the better. The suggestion was, of course, that Sir Robert Kelly picked the team before Jockstein got there. Well, I, I've no personal experience of that, but I mean, I have those uh, stories as well. And, um, you know, you can imagine, I I met Jimmy McGrory, obviously, later on, when he was PR chief at Celtic Park. And he was an easygoing, pleasant man. And you can't imagine him as the guy who would... As you well know, Colin, the manager sometimes has to lose his temper. He does it on purpose if he's a clever man because the message has to get across. And, you know, I don't mean going right off the rails, but it's showing that he's not happy with what's happening out on the park. Well, Jimmy McGrory would never have been able to do that. Just impossible for him to be the man that could do that. Colin, you would know that it wasn't all that difficult for Willie Waddle to lose his temper? Uh, once or twice, yes, you, yeah, <laughs> certainly did. Yeah. But again, you know, you, you had tremendous respect for the guy, and, that, and I think, uh, as Jim says, he come over speaking to the media and that, like, uh, big joke, uh, I think it's tremendous. I think some of the, the guys that get interviewed now, they, you know, they try to co- they, they complicate an easy game, oh. some of them. Jim was part of Celtic's nine in a row. The now, in the present day, have nine, they're going for ten. Would you... Would you like to be a Rangers player having to stop Celtic from getting 10 or do you think they will thrive on the pressure? Well, firstly, back in 97, uh, 75, uh, I scored the goal that stopped Celtic winning 10 in a row. So there you are. Yeah. Uh, the pressure will certainly be on Rangers. Yeah. are talking about uh, not winning a, a trophy. I, I don't remember the last time Rangers won a trophy, except that uh, trophy they won in France. Tell us about that. Tell us about the goal that stopped ten in a row for Celtic. Then do we have to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> it's only fair. Tell us. Tell us about the goal, Colin. Well, uh, we're playing at Easter Road, and uh, Sandy Jarden picked up the ball and they passed it to Bobby McKean, who's no longer with us now, Meyer Sandy, and he crossed the ball and I headed it in, and we got a point, and that uh, was enough to, to stop Celtic. How significant a point did that appear to you? You know, that today the Celtic and Rangers fans are absolutely desperate. One, to win 10 in a row, the other to stop 10 in a row. Did it feel like a, a significant moment to you then? Well, I hadn't been involved in all the season. I was playing down at Coventry and then I come back to the Rangers, so I didn't have the full season. But certainly there'll be a lot of pressure on, on Rangers. Jim, I, I mean, the supporters don't want Celtic to win mm. 10 in a row. It's vice versa if it was the other way around. Jim, I, I would hazard a guess that there has never been 
a more tense season than this one because back in the day, back in your day uh, of contributing to nine in a row, the same tension didn't exist, did it? No, not really. Um, this is a, a rather special one. It's um, It can be a bit of a pain sometimes as well that so much effort is concentrated on that because I like to see teams do well in Europe and uh, we haven't done all that well in Europe, the Scottish teams, in recent years. And I was hoping for an improvement this year. So in some ways, this 10 in a row thing is getting in the road. Um, but it's there and it's up to... Celtic look very well equipped to do it, to be quite honest, because I think that they are a better overall side than Rangers. And um, at the weekend, you know, uh, Rangers, uh, I thought, were comfortable winners at Aberdeen without actually showing that they can raise their game any further than that. And last season, as you well know, they struggled against the other teams, not against Celtic, they did well against them. But against the other teams that you've got to beat week in and week out to maintain the pressure on the team at the top, they struggled. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they can change that style today. For Neil Lennon, is 10 in a row a burden or a blessing? Bit of both. Um, I think he would like to have a concentration in Europe as well because uh, eventually that's... I mean, you've been realistic. If you're being realistic, you. A European league of some sort must be in the offing at some time. Whether any Scots teams are going to be involved in it is another matter. Because, you know, if you judge it by the size of stadiums, then you would have Celtic and Rangers in the European league. But if you judge it in European performance over the past 10 years or so, then you might struggle. Colin, from your perspective, is it a burden or a blessing for Stephen Gerrard to be given the opportunity to stop 10 in a row? Well, firstly, Stephen Gerrard's a great brand name, especially for Rangers. I mean, obviously he'll be wanting to stop 10 in a row, definitely. Back then, when you did stop 10 in a row, uh, did you feel that Rangers kicked on from there? It was such a significant moment. Well, I think Rangers had a good uh, turn after that uh, back in the, the late 70s. Uh, they were a dominant team then uh, over Celtic. In the 60s, when you were both young men, is there a moment in the 60s that stands out for you? What was the, the best moment you had from 1960 to 1969, Colin? Uh, when England won the World Cup. Really? <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you asked Dennis Law that, you would. Uh, <laughs> that was his worst, well, that was his worst nightmare. Yeah, they do say that Dennis was on the golf course that day and threw the yeah, clubs away that. in disgrace. Well, th- this guy was always wanting him to play at golf. So the cup final, the uh, phoned him up saying I want to play golf, but the, the guy was a big England supporter, and of course he wasn't want to play that day. But Dennis took him out in the golf course. As soon as he got the eighteenth. And they were all chanting that in the clubhouse, so he knew that uh, England had won the World Cup. Well, we know your low point in the 1960s. Uh, we'll give you time to think about your high point in the 1960s. Jim, the 1960s brought so much for Celtic. Uh, first trophy for years in terms of the Scottish Cup. Then came the first league title for years. Then came the European Cup. Uh, and you are forever immortalised. Well, I don't think you could 
choose any other game other than the one in Lisbon, Hugh, you know, if you're being realistic, because uh, it was such a big occasion. Uh, first of all, we were well aware that no British team had ever been there, and um, we were absolutely astonished, at least I was, when I went up the steps to the park and realised the number of people who had travelled to see the game. The Celtic strips that were there, because don't forget, at that time, 1967, people didn't really go to the continent on holiday. They went down the coast or they went to Ireland or they went to Isle of Man or somewhere like that, or England. And uh, to see so many people making their first trip abroad to see Celtic play in the European Cup final was quite astonishing. 53 years later, do you still think of the day? No, I uh, I still don't think it was a penalty, by the way. But I mean, <laughs> that's true, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> and I'll go to my grave thinking that. You know. you know, what's the good story though? Because my father had been reluctant to go because he thought we could beat him, and he didn't want to. He told me he didn't want to go all that way and see his son play the team that was beating the European Cup. So I had a ticket for him. I had a seat in a plane for him, and it was only on the Sunday before the Thursday of the game that he decided he would go. And when I gave away the penalty. He was sitting up behind one of the goals and he turned to my uncle Philip and said to him, I've come all this bloody way to see that. <laughs> <coughs> what did he say what to you? you? Did you see him did you see him after the game? I did. Yeah, he was in better mood then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, if you're on the blue side of Glasgow, uh watching Celtic dominate from 65 onwards until 75. How difficult is it to come to terms with that? And how difficult is it to satisfy supporters' expectations? Well, I mean, Celtic was certainly dominant then. Rangers were, were second best in, in, in that era, uh, which they have been uh, lately. But um, we could never take away the, you know, the games that were played then. It was absolutely tremendous and great rivalry. Uh, I don't know about good friends but you know they were friends off the part as well I once had the pleasure of writing Sandy Jardin's column in a weekly newspaper and I knew him to be such a special gentleman uh, and you mentioned Bobby McKean sadly no longer with us as well you know there the were terrific players in that era sadly gone now yeah, that's right. Uh, Sandy, obviously, you know, was a, the same sort of thing as Henderson and, and Johnson, him and Danny McGrain, you know, playing for Scotland. They didn't play many uh, games together, but they were great uh, fullbacks. But he certainly sadly missed Sandy and Bobby as well. Yeah. Certainly sadly missed. I mean, Sandy was a, such a cultured player, you know, he, he, he was a gentleman on the park as well. Well, actually, when I went to Ibrox, he played up front. And then when I went back, uh, uh, to, when I went to Ibrox, he sort of went back to half back in that. So I always say that I made Sandy Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> do do people now associate Colin Steen with Rangers or nothing else? All the goals that you scored for Scotland, the goals that you scored for Hibs that got you to move to Rangers. Once you go to Rangers, is that you your Rangers for life? Well, I think. Uh, when you speak to people, it's always Goldstein or Rangers, right? Definitely. And that pleases you? Yeah, that's I Although I certainly enjoyed my time, time with Hibs. Hibs are a good team when I left them. Oh. But you made them a packet? Well, I made them 100 grand, which is a lot of money in 1968, yeah, wasn't it? It certainly was. 
Jim was playing for Celtic better than being a dentist. <laughs> um, it was uh, probably easier. <laughs> <laughs> probably easier. But no, I mean, they were wonderful times to play your football. And um, I'm in a position now where there are only five guys that I played with and Lisbon left, you know. And, yeah. uh, we still keep in touch with each other. And um, we've lost some very good friends and companions um, from that team. And um, people forget that, that, that sort of side of football because, um, you know, every Saturday or midweek when you go out, you're part of this 11 and you rely an awful lot on other people. Yeah, you're trying to work for them. They do their work for you. And um, uh, there's a lot of camaraderie that, uh, you know, you look back on and you think that was a great time. Sadly, oh, yeah. the, 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 the first of the Lisbon Lions to pass away was Bobby Murdoch. Now, I'm sure Colin remembers him well and knew Jim. What a player he was and how much would he be worth today? I think he was very underrated. Uh, he played, you know, once he got the ball, just gave it to that. He played, ran out of position. He was a tremendous player. He was one of those... Jim, when you were into a match against Rangers, you were certainly glad to have Chopper there. Yes, indeed. Where he was particularly good was that, uh, and fullbacks, you know, are very often put in this position. You're chasing a ball back towards your own goal. The keeper doesn't want it, or he's covered, and you're in a position where you're really going towards the corner flag. And <laughs> apart from hoofing out a play, which you're very reluctant to do, you know, well, Murdoch used to just shout at that point. As, as you turn with the ball, you would shout here, and you look up, and you would just knock the ball five or six yards to him, and he'd hold it for a second or two, and wait for you to come forward again, and into a better position, and roll the ball back into your path. It was absolutely fantastic at that, when a fullback was in trouble. Jim, you know? I tell you a story, I was writing a book, uh, and one of the chapters was uh, devoted to Bobby Murdoch, and we we went to the Regano. You'll be familiar with the restaurant in Glasgow. Yeah, of course. A yeah. quiet Monday night, and I asked Bobby Murdoch if he could remember the last time he ever left Celtic Park as a, as a player, and he started to cry. Clearly, it was such an emotional moment for him, and he, he said to me, I couldn't even turn round and look at the park one last time. I was so upset at going... There was a man who truly loved it, the, the club that he played for. Very much so. And um, he was the the pulse, the the back pulse of the team, you know, in Lisbon. Bertie did it further forward, but Chopper was the, the man further back that just made the play down the left wing, down the right wing, and, and allowed both Tam and myself to come forward. He would step back a wee bit of cover as well, you know. He played a, a really good game. Never understood why they called him Chopper. Well, it was from a tackle he did uh, when he was a younger man, which nowadays he'd be hung, drawn and quartered for it, but uh, he got away with it, I think, at the time. Because in those days, tackling people like Colin, you were allowed to get away with a wee bit more than you are now. Colin, you didn't have an exotic nickname, you were just Steeny. That's right, uh, we were Louis. You were Louis? Uh, I, once, uh, I once went in one morning and I had a scab on my lip. Uh-huh. And Bobby Duncan says, oh, Louis the Lip. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> when you look back on it, Colin, 
How much did it mean to you to have those years at Rangers? Oh, fantastic. Uh, once you get the supporters, uh, General Noel, when you get the supporters on your side, it's absolutely great. And, you know, you're chanting your name. I mean, what more could you want? Fabulous. Jim, if someone said to you, the last thing they'll say is Jim Craig, Lisbon Lion, will you settle for that? Very much so. I mean, I've, uh, I've gone through a lifetime being referred to as a Lisbon Lion and it's been a real privilege uh, to do that, you know. You, you get the often, people say things and and it can be quite funny sometimes because they don't mean what they're saying, you know, they haven't thought about it, they're excited at meeting you. Yeah. And this guy said to me, do you know, Jim, uh, <laughs> what do white rhinos and Lisbon lions have in common? I said, I don't know, he says, you're both endangered species. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was a dead embarrassed because... He thought it was being cheeky, and actually, fine, you know. Of course, <laughs> I took it okay. <laughs> you you loved the club so much, you married a director's daughter. I did indeed, yes, and um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we're now married fifty-one years, so fifty-two years, in fact, and uh, it was worthwhile. <laughs> do you, Colin, one last question: do you, Do you still enjoy watching football today? Do you enjoy it? more than it was in, in your era or or how do you view it all now? Oh, I still enjoying uh, watching playing. I think I was the same as Jim. I do the hospitality uh, at Ibrox. So I've seen him every home game and, uh, and also on the television away. But I love watching football, but I certainly miss it as well. Jim, do you ever think, I wish I was still playing or? Hmm. Like every footballer does that, but you've got to come to terms with it. I would like to see change here. I'll, I'll finish with that. I'd like to see change. I'd like to see Sinbin brought in. Yeah. And I'd also like to see, it drives me daft, where the keeper gets the ball, passes it to the right back, to the centre back, to the left back, and then he laps it up the park. I want to ban the pass back in your own half. I want to see a game played where you're not allowed to pass the ball backwards in your own half because it would give chance, guys like Colin, strikers, uh, opportunity to do a wee bit more, some attacking play. Would Big Jock have been driven mad by the game today? I think so. Yeah, mm. he would have. Uh, he wouldn't have been very happy with certain things. He didn't like, you know, as he said, fanning around at the back. That was players twenty, thirty yards from our own goal. <laughs> you know, passing sideways and sideways because that's how you lose the ball. He used to keep saying, "Right, let's get it forward." I don't mean a big punt up the park. Let's get it forward up near the halfway line. That gives you a chance to reorganise yourself again. Well, he knew a thing or two because he won a thing or two, gentlemen. <laughs> It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to Colin Steen and to Jim Craig. I wish you all the very best for the remainder of this season and beyond. A pleasure, gentlemen. OK. Thank you very much to meet you. OK. Nice to talk to you, Jim. Nice to talk to you, Colin. Well, that was then and this is now, as they say. But back then, Jim Craig and Colin Steen certainly got the most out of playing for Celtic and Rangers. And well, there are some stories in there. Next time... We'll look at Celtic and Rangers in the 70s. Next time on Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. It's been handed down. That's the strength of Celtic and Rangers. Each family hands down the mantle supporting their particular team and that'll carry on forever. Scotland's two biggest clubs. No disrespect to Aberdeen and the D-Rite, they were starting to do well. But, uh, and the rivalry between the clubs was 
was great. I mean, they were with a kick lump site and a Saturday, but after the game, we could be pals. It's life or death to Celtic Rangers fans. The Super Scoreboard Through the Decades podcast is brought to you by Indigo Unified Communications. They do a brilliant job of supporting you and your business, whether you're working from home or from the office. There's loads of information on their website if you're interested in finding out more. There's free software installation and they can have you up and running within 24 hours. If you're interested in finding out more, visit indigounifiedcoms.co.uk.